The 2022 preseason AP poll top 25 will be released this Monday at noon Eastern time, and I cannot wait. The preseason polls really don't matter. The coaches poll was released nearly a week ago. It was released this past Monday, I do believe. But it's always exciting to see what the coaches and what the analysts think are the top 25 teams nationally. For the AP poll, you're going to have a plethora of analysts come together, make their own top 25s. They submit them all, and depending on averages and a point system, Each team is assigned a specific ranking. The team that is ranked the highest on average will be placed the highest, and that is Alabama, who got by far the majority of first place votes. Georgia got the next amount of first place votes, but they were placed third. This was in the coaches poll, just using it as an example. Ohio State got the third amount of of first place votes. They were placed in second. So depending on the average of where each team is ranked, how many points each team racks up in the voting system, that is where they are placed in both the AP and coaches poll. And today we're going to be reacting to a sneak peek of the AP poll. And I say sneak peek because Brett McMurphy's preseason AP top 25 ballot will play a role in where where certain teams are ranked. He has Alabama at 1, Ohio State at 2, Georgia at 3, which is pretty basic. If you switch Alabama and Ohio State, that's my top 3. I think that those three teams are really the only teams that can make up this year's top 3 for a multitude of reasons. Alabama and Ohio State have the most talent on their roster, along with Georgia. They have the most talented rosters in the nation. And I think that recruiting wise, even though Georgia does outrank Ohio State technically in team total talent rankings by 24-7 sports and others, Ohio State and their offensive philosophy gives them an edge over Georgia here. The amount of production, returning production, but also just plain out production that Ohio State reloads at on offense, they're crazy. They have Brian Hartline coaching those wide receivers. Justin Fry coaching that O-line, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Trevion Henderson, and C.J. Stroud, that three-headed monster return from last season. All three, I think, can contend for the Heisman this year. Alabama, you have Bryce Young on offense. Jamison Williams and John Mechie did depart, but they bring in Jermaine Burton and Tyler Harrell through the portal to replace those two at wide receiver. The main story outside of Bryce Young, though, who's far and away the best player on the offense, and Jameer Gibbs also came in through the portal. So Alabama doing a lot of reloading through the portal is Will Anderson on defense. I think Alabama is going to have the best defense in the nation. Ohio State will have the best offense. Both will be pretty good at the other side of the football. Alabama should have a pretty great offense. Ohio State's defense should certainly be better than last year's unit. In Georgia, they return a lot on offense, including quarterback Stetson Bennett, tight end Brock Bowers, a lot of their offensive line, and they do lose quite a bit on defense, but they return Keely Ringo, and they seemingly have great defenses every single year. So I think there are many arguments to have only those three in a top three. 
we're mainly talking about the rest of the list, and I'm going to go through it very quickly, and then we're going to get into the teams that I don't like where they're placed. And there are more than the teams I have listed, but I just listed four placements that I did like and four placements that I didn't. And I will go and spend time on those placements and some more outside of what I've listed, just talking about and reacting to Brett McMurphy's AP poll ballot. So one is Alabama, two is Ohio State, and three is Georgia. Number four is not Utah. It's not Michigan. It's not even Texas A&M. Heck, it's not even Texas, who got a first place vote in the coaches poll. It is the U. Yes, Miami, not even Clemson, who I forgot to mention, who is number four in ESPN's FPI and number four in a lot of other ballots. Number four is Miami, not Clemson, Miami. They return quarterback Tyler Van Dyke. Mario Cristobal came in. We'll talk about this a little later, but Miami at number four, Texas A&M at number five, not really a surprise there. I don't like Texas A&M being ranked as high as they do. They lost a lot on their defensive line. Their offense was not stellar last year. They returned Devon A-Chain at running back, but they have questions at quarterback, questions at O-line, etc. They're going to be a good team. It's the SEC. Most teams in the SEC are a good team. But Texas A&M's at five. Miami at four still shocks me. Utah's at six, and I like this, and we'll talk about that a little later. Michigan's at 7. Oregon is at 8. The school that Mario Cristobal left will seamlessly transfer over to Dan Lanning coming into Oregon. NC State is at number 9. Baylor is at number 10. A lot of people seem to have differing opinions on Baylor. They returned some at the offensive line. Gary Bohannon transferred away to USF, and Blake Schappen, who started in the Big 12 championship game last year and looked like the better quarterback won the starting job this preseason. But some think because Baylor lost a lot on both offense and defense that they will they will take a huge step back. Others think they're going to continue to ride the ride the train of greatness and not fall off. So a lot of people differing on Baylor, we can see clearly here that Brett McMurphy is still pretty high on them at least for now. Clemson, outside of the top 10, which is something that I really like, they're at 11th. Oklahoma State at 12th. Oklahoma at 13th. Arkansas at 14th. Wisconsin at 15th. I like that they're away from the top 10. I myself have them just outside of my top 25, maybe a little in my top 25. I'm the Badgers because of their just poor offense, mainly Graham Mertz and their poor passing game, and with what they've lost on defense, I don't know what to think. I like their addition of Bobby Engram as their OC. It's going to be much better than Joe Rudolph or Paul Christ calling plays, but I think it's going to take more than a year for those full results and those changes to bear fruit. Penn State at 16. We'll talk about this a little later. Penn State certainly, despite all they lost, does have the talent, and more specifically the NFL talent at points on their roster, to be a top 25 team. I don't think they will be, but they do have that potential. Wake Forest at 17th, they return quarterback Sam Hartman, some solid wide receivers. They lose running back Christian Beal-Smith to the portal. Notre Dame at 18th, another placement that I like. I don't understand why Notre Dame is in the top 10 with their 
questions at wide receiver depth and secondary depth. They had a whole staff makeover. Marcus Freeman, he's a great recruiter, great defensive coordinator, but his first year as a head coach. And contrary to what we've seen under Ryan Day, who's had tremendous success at Ohio State, and not only his first year, but his second and his third, despite being a disappointment by OSU standards, was still a top 10 team. Not all first-year head coaches turn out to be wonderful, amazing guys at the top-tier level at a Blue Blood school. Doesn't always happen. Pittsburgh at 19th, USC at 20th. We'll get into more of that later. Iowa at 21st, Tennessee at 22nd. You also have Houston at 23rd, Air Force at 24th, which I think is a sneaky good pick with all they return. Good chance that team can go 12-0. And Nebraska at 25 And that is Brett McMurphy's AP poll top 25 ballot. So let's start off with placements that I dislike. Miami at number four is one of them. It's Mario Cristobal's first year. He's never reached the playoff. And you might say that Miami has maybe more talent than Oregon does. And there is somewhat of an argument for that. I mean, Miami is in the state of Florida and... The state of Florida does produce more talent than the state of Oregon, but Oregon also recruits nationally. They recruit nationally. They've had good talent for years, and under Cristobal, they brought in several five-stars. And also looking at the 2021 college football team talent composite, Oregon had a more talented roster last year than Miami did. Had a more talented roster. So two teams are about as similar in talent if not Oregon, because of their, they had they have had more recruiting success over the past few years. They probably have a higher talent ceiling than let's say Miami does at this current year. Miami at number four. You have a great quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke, and quarterback is half the battle because that and the offensive line on the offensive side of the ball are the most important positions. Miami certainly is recruiting well at the offensive line position. They have a good offensive line coach in Alex Mirabal, and they have, again, a good QB in Tyler Van Dyke. But even, even Mario Cristobal had a quarterback, an NFL quarterback in Justin Herbert, and couldn't reach the playoff in the Pac-12, which is arguably, when Cristobal was there, was not as tough as the ACC. So I'm fascinated to see what Miami does this year. I think they're a top 25 team. What I just said about Cristobal, it sounds like I'm bashing him, but he's a good coach. He rebuilt Oregon from when it was destroyed by Mark Helfrich and when Willie Taggart did absolutely nothing to fix it. Mario Cristobal is a good coach. He's going to have more resources at Miami. He'll probably bring Miami's talent levels to something that has not been seen since the Butch Davis era. So Miami is on the right track. But it's year one. Year one, and Mario Cristobal is going to do something that he has never done before. I'm fascinated to see if that turns out to be true. Texas A&M at number five. I just, I really don't like it. Losing most of the starters on the defensive line, losing Mike Elko, a great defensive coordinator to Duke. And there is an argument for most teams outside of the obvious top three to not even be in the top four or top five. Once you get outside the top three, there's a huge cliff between Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and 
everyone else. And ESPN's FPI clearly has that listed when you look at the point totals they assign to every team. ESPN's FPI basically says through their point metrics that Michigan, who's ranked sixth in the FPI, is closer to the 20th ranked team in the FPI than they are to Georgia, who's the third. So that just shows you the level that the top three are at compared to everyone else. Texas A&M had a phenomenal year in recruiting, the number one class, the top class in 24-7 sports history. Freshmen, though, are still freshmen. And from a Big Ten perspective, you saw this in the Ohio State game, in not just the Ohio State game, whether that I'm referring to the Michigan game I watched, Michigan versus Ohio State, but you saw it in the entire season. You saw that Freshmen made errors. C.J. Stroud made errors. Travion Henderson made errors. That team was green, and you saw it. You saw it in almost every game to a certain degree. And Texas A&M, bringing in Walter Nolan on defensive line, Evan Stewart at wide receiver, they return Haynes King, got Connor Wiegman at quarterback, who's a five-star, and they bring in Max Johnson from LSU. They Their quarterback room didn't look so good in the spring game, their offensive line is being coached by Steve Adazio, who I'm not a big fan of as not just a position coach, but especially a head coach. And they have a new defensive coordinator under DJ Durkin, who I think is probably the best staff addition that they made or one of the best that they could have made to replace Mike Elko, who departed for the head coach position at Duke. Jimbo Fisher is a solid coach, but he's not at Florida State. And that national title was in 2013 at a different university that has not recovered since he has left. AM at 5, after the year they had last year when they were placed in a similar position, it only took one injury to, de- to derail their season, and Haynes King didn't even look fantastic before that injury. So a lot of questions I have for AM at number 5. With that recruiting class, though, they have a bright future. Absolutely, with the level of talent they have beyond this year, you're going to start to see that level of talent make production on the field. Oregon at eight, new head coach in Dan Lanning, who I would say is head coach ready. They do have a tough schedule. They play BYU. They play Georgia, two tough out-of-conference games, which certainly doesn't help their position. They return C.J. Verdell. They, Bo Nix is going to start for them at quarterback. They have a strong offensive line. They have, they have a strong defense, and seeing that Dan Lanning's strong suit is defense, Oregon should have one of the more solid defenses in the country. It's, one, it's the first year, though. Oregon had a lot of outgoing transfers. It's a new staff. I think that they have a tough schedule, and I just don't know if they should necessarily start in the top 10, but the more I think about it, I almost would like to say, because of the roster that I see Oregon having, that if they can keep their head up after being beaten down and probably destroyed by Georgia and maybe suffering, and definitely, in my opinion, a loss to a really good BYU team, can they keep their head up and play solid in the Pac-12? Because the Pac-12, especially the Pac-12 formerly North, but the schedule of the Pac-12 North is still going to be kept for this year, is easy. And Oregon could totally boat race the schedule that they have. Totally. They could totally boat race their in-conference schedule. And finally, Penn State at 16. Penn State at 16 is questionable to me. They have offensive line issues. They lost the majority of their defensive starters. 
Edge Arnold Ebiketti is one. Safety Jaquan Brisker. Defensive back or cornerback Tariq Castro-Fields. And they lost one of the best defensive coordinators in the nation in Brent Pry to be the head coach at Virginia Tech and replaced him with Manny Diaz, who, when he was calling plays last year at Miami, got diced up and cooked by Alabama's offense and Michigan State's offense and many more offenses. So I don't know. I think that Penn State, this is going to be a year of survival for this team. Sean Clifford under quarterback coach and offensive coordinator Mike Yersich could be due for a breakthrough year, though, if he stays healthy. I don't like the argument that if he never got injured against Iowa, they would be somehow this top 10, maybe even top four team that could have challenged for the Big Ten. I don't necessarily like that argument, but there is some validity there because his play definitely suffered after that injury. He was playing much better before that injury, and that included a game against one of the toughest defenses in the nation in Wisconsin. So with Mitchell Tinsley and Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith in that wide receiver room, with Nicholas Singleton at running back along with Kevon Lee, and if Sean Clifford is a breakthrough year and the offensive line finally gets back to where it was pre-2020, which was average, maybe above average, you could see a great Penn State team. You could see a Penn State team that can challenge for nine wins, maybe 10, depending on the postseason result, and the team will have a good feeling heading into 2023. But I think that with all they lost on defense, including the staff and questions at O-line, I myself do not have Penn State ranked in my top 25. And let's finish this video off with placements that I like. Utah at six. They return their tight ends. They return a lot of their offensive line. Cameron Rising at quarterback, Tevion Thomas at running back is going to be a great story to follow. Kyle Whittingham has one of the best staffs in the nation. Himself there with offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig and defensive coordinator Morgan Scally. Those two, great coordinators, elite coordinators. And then on defense, Utah's defense is normally solid under Kyle Whittingham. They lost their best linebacker, whose name escapes me, pardon me, but they return a lot of other guys, and I think that their defense is going to be good. Their offense is also going to be very good, and I think Utah, I have them at five in my own poll. I think because of how the schedules work out, I think that Utah is going to reach the college football playoff as the fourth or at highest third seed. Arkansas at 14, they return K.J. Jefferson, lose a lot of other guys, but Arkansas has a very high, they have a very high transfer portal class. They do, and I think, I think it is top 10, if I'm not mistaken. Let me check real, really quick, but K.J. Jefferson, he is one of the better quarterbacks in the nation. Sam Pittman has proven himself to be a great head coach working as an assistant at Georgia, gets hired to Arkansas, helps them be competitive in 2020 when they were destroyed by Chad Morris and had little to no talent. And now, look where they are. 9-4, and four, they were ranked in the top 10 at one point, dominating A&M, who's a rival of theirs, destroying Texas, who's a rival of theirs. And Arkansas has the 10th best transfer portal class in the nation, with names like Matt Landers coming in, Terry Hampton coming in, 
Jordan Dominic coming in. You also have Latavius Barini, a safety from Georgia, coming in. Dwight McLaughlin, a cornerback from LSU, coming in, who's ranked very highly. And of course, you have Drew Sanders, linebacker from Alabama. No complaints about him. He just wanted to probably get more playing time. So transfer to Arkansas and help them reload on defense there. You also got Landon Jackson transferring in from LSU. So I like where Arkansas is going. I think Sam Pittman's a fantastic coach. And I have Arkansas in my top 10. USC at 20. The Trojans bring in Caleb Williams at quarterback. Jordan Addison at wide receiver. Mario Williams at wide receiver. They bring in Travis Dye at running back from Oregon. They bring in Bryson Shaw from Ohio State. And USC had the number one transfer portal class last year. The number one. USC's 2022 recruiting class was was fantastic, honestly. For where it was when Clay Helton was fired and Dante Williams was taking over, everything looked like they were it was going to collapse. No. Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley comes in, and what he does is he raids the portal. He got, again, Caleb Williams to come from Oklahoma along with Mario Williams. He got Travis Dye from Oregon, as I already mentioned. Latell, Latrell McCutcheon from Oklahoma, who's ranked as a four-star according to 24-7 Sports. Got Brendan Rice, who's Jerry Rice's son, a wide receiver from Colorado. And he also got he got one guy from Arizona State, who I'm looking for, Eric Gentry, freak linebacker from there. So what Lincoln Riley has done through the portal, what he's done at Oklahoma, is impressive. My concern for USC is Alex Grinch in that defense and the offensive line. That's my concern. I have USC in my top 25. I originally didn't, but the but the Jordan Addison move forced me to because I think Mario Williams is a little overrated, but Jordan Addison is anything but overrated. He's amazing. And adding him to that wide receiver room is going to be fantastic. You are not going to have a single you're not going to have a single above average wide receiver in that room. They're all going to be good to elite. And then you have Caleb Williams, who is a great quarterback, potentially elite quarterback nationally, that showed flashes of a Heisman level QB in just this past season in 2021. USC will have a great offense. The question is their defense and what happens when their offense and offensive line face defenses that are well schemed, well talented, and overall just tough and gritty. Finally, Nebraska at 25. I have Nebraska at number 10 if I was to have an AP poll top 25 ballot. So it's off, but I like that they're just in the top 25 because most people don't even have Nebraska near their top 25. Most people probably look at Nebraska here and don't know what to think about Brett McMurphy anymore. But here's the thing. Like USC, granted they didn't bring in as many big names, they got guys through the portal. Casey Thompson, quarterback. Trey Palmer, wide receiver. Marcus Washington, wide receiver from Texas. They got they got Ochon Mathis from TCU, one of the top players in the nation through the portal. It, according to portal rankings, not top players in the nation in general, but still a fantastic player. They got Omar Brown from the FCS, who is an FCS, I think, All-American. And they're doing well. Doing well in the portal, and their staff names. The staff 
people that they brought on their offensive staff were bigger than the ones that USC brought on. Mark Whipple from Pitt, who coached a Heisman-level QB in Kenny Pickett and had a top-10 offense. Mickey Joseph, who developed Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Kayshawn Booty, who's going to be a very good wide receiver this season. Unfortunately, he was injured last year, I do believe. He recruits well. He's already recruiting well at the wide receiver position. Brought Trey Palmer with him from LSU. And he was on the 2019 LSU national title team. Bill Bush coached safeties at LSU on that same 2019 squad. Is the special teams coordinator for Nebraska. And you also got Brian Applewhite, who was TCU's running backs coach. And he brought in Zach Evans and recruited that five-star talent to come to the Horned Frogs. So Nebraska with a great staff nationally. They're working the portal. It's Scott Frost's fifth year, and you can't exactly... You can't, he doesn't deserve any benefit of the doubt at all. He doesn't. He literally does not. But I factor him, all I have to do is just partially factor him out of the equation, just partially, and everything fits for this team to be at least a top 25 team. And Frost has already partially factored himself out of the equation. He's adapted. He's sharing play calling duties. He's not making himself the dictator of calling plays like he was for his first four years. He's adapting. He's going to let Mark Whipple take on some more responsibility and his demeanor at Big Ten Media Days and just everything about the program to me screams that it is going to have a breakout season this year. And that's all I have to say for this video. If you liked this video, if you liked my reaction to Brett McMurphy's top 25 ballot, make sure to hit that like button hit the subscribe button, click the notification bell, and comment your thoughts on Brett McMurphy's Top 25 and my reaction to it down below. And if you're listening via Spotify, make sure to follow the channel. Thank you again for helping Corn Crazed and I have an amazing live stream Thursday. That video has passed 8,000 views, and I have gained a good amount of subscribers from that video. I had lots of fun with him. I'm looking forward to collaborating with him again this fall and with other content creators. So thank you again for helping me build this awesome community with you all. Goodbye.